hey, that one's too easy. <laughs> I don't really have to um, really build this up. You guys already know the answer. But um, I think for one thing, I think we can think of, here it is, um, middle of March. We have an absolutely gorgeous day out there. I call that beauty. Uh, boy, I tell you, you know, it just uh, just charges you up even that much more when you when you see the the light coming out of the from the sun and the, the heat. And it's just a beautiful time of the year, and we know that the flowers will be coming up already. Some green things are starting to happen. We know the leaves will be coming on, and little buds here and there. Doesn't it get you excited? Because you know of the beauty that's coming in the springtime. And of course, if you live where places that, that have uh, trees that have all sorts of different colors coming out, you just can't wait, right? Beauty. Did you, and, uh, did you say little bugs coming Buds. Oh, bugs. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> While we're thinking, uh, it's hard to think of beauty and bugs, but I'm sure there's probably something behind that. Well, then we wouldn't have the little buds. <laughs> that's right. you got to have those. <laughs> But it's amazing how God's beauty works. You know, some of the things we don't think that are beautiful are. A lot of times people think of Miss America, Miss Universe, you know, the pageants of beauty. Uh, Some think of the famous movie actresses that are beautiful or a faraway tropical island. (laughs) I see spring kind of colors here today. You know, the, the light greens and the pinks and all sorts of different kind of colors going on, you know. And you think of uh, you think of that as, as to remind you of that kind of thing. Sometimes people think of beauty uh, with uh, kind-hearted actions that people have, pleasing dispositions. That's beauty, isn't it? An inward beauty. I think beauty is present in a, a lot of forms. I think the average person thinks of beauty um, quite often, but I think there are very few that think about the origin of beauty. Uh, you guys already gave the answer, didn't you? That um, when you think of beauty, you think of God. But that's where it comes from. Where does it come from? From God. And it's amazing in a world that we live in that's so dominated seemingly by sin and evil that it's hard to see much anything that's beautiful sometimes. And, and you see what sin does to people and to even all of creation. And creation groans for the, uh, the ultimate in glorification. So how should a Christian think about the source and nature of true beauty in a sin-cursed world. How do we do that? I think the Christian should always see beauty in the person of God. So when you see beauty, you know that really that's just reflecting who God is. He's the one that makes that. When we, when we study true beauty, and there we're going to see some, I think, awesome pictures here today that just kind of help us. Uh, have those those true pictures of the true beauty. When we try to study true beauty, we're actually studying God. Did you know that? Jonathan Edwards would go out into the woods, and I know there are probably several of you that love to do that, and just look at the gorgeous beauty that's going on there. You, you love it. You know, you love to get out in the country or be in the country and uh, see all those kind of things happen. And then looking up to the, the sky at night and seeing that beauty, and you realize you're actually studying God. He's the one that made it for us to look at it. When we pursue God, we discover the purpose of our lives. When we really even look at nature and such, we, we realize the meaning of our existence. And uh, boy, the, the incredible things that we can think of. You know, this is, this is amazing. When we discover our lives are really a reflection 
of the beauty of God. Just like that picture there of the heavens. The second heavens, I guess. You know, you think of that. That's just reflecting who God is. That's really what you, who you are adoring when you're thinking of that. And we are reflections of the beauty of God. We're like small mirrors just catching and then sending back the rays that come from the Lord. We're sending them back to the Lord's divinity and giving Him glory. We give Him glory whenever He gives us stuff to look at and then we send it right back to Him. We long for beauty. And you know what? That's put in every man's heart. Every man, woman, and child has this thing about beauty. God put it in our hearts to go right to the source. The sad thing is, most people don't know where the beauty really comes from. And we want to go right to the source. The Lord has a great plan of expressing His beauty. A tremendous plan And He wants to make His glory famous. He wants to make Himself famous. And He existed as the Supreme One. But He didn't just leave it there with just some kind of self-appreciation of His beauty. Although that's all He needed. He never needed anything else. But He wanted others and creation to adore His beauty, His glory. So then what he did is that he moved to creation and expanded that all out through all the universe. And then he went a step further with the grandest view of his beauty in the incarnation of Christ and all that goes with that, his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension. And then he moves to the bride of Christ. And that's how He shows His beauty today in the most elite way, through His body, which is the body of Christ here on earth. We now represent His beauty. And at one time in the future, it will finally consummate in heavens, in the eternal state, this beauty. So what we want to accomplish this morning, every week we're here to accomplish something, And it's to further treasure the beauty of God. You already have a treasury of that, but we want to take it a step further, even higher than we've gone before. You ever gone to a height and you didn't get to the complete summit and you wanted to go another step just to see it? We want to venture out a little bit more and have a vision of God that the Scripture gives us. And we want to know, to, to actually know Christ and the beauty of knowing God. And there's a beauty of redeemed life that we have. Mm-hmm. And He is the principal object of our faith, of our love, of our delight, of our admiration, of our, our whole praise to Him. He is the object of all of this. And how can we understand His glory and His beauty when actually it's incomprehensible? He gives us pictures, and when we look at these things in real life, and then in pictures we go, oh, that is absolutely gorgeous. Wouldn't it be nice to be there to see that? And we see the great sunsets and the pink. I've been seeing that pink sunset off to the west lately. It's just so gorgeous. And those are just little pictures. They're just little things that He's showing us some things that we can conceive actually illuminate us on those thoughts. But actually, we are just on the tip of the iceberg 
He's so incomprehensible. All the praises that we give to Him are really unutterable. I mean, we just don't have really too much of an idea outside what He has given, and it's immense already. But how far does this go? And it will go for eternity. And it seems like sometimes we just know just barely a little. Almost nothing compared to eternity. Yet, however weak we are, and how unknowing we are in so many things, what He has revealed to us through His Scripture is preferred above any other kind of wisdom, understanding, or knowledge that is given. And you'll realize when the world gives you anything but the Word of God, unless it agrees with the Word of God, it's absolutely nothing. And it's worse than nothing. But when it agrees with God and His Gospel, there's nothing as excellent and glorious and perfect than this revelation that He has given to us. And, um, you know, He deserves the best of our thoughts. We want to raise our minds up higher in exalting Him. And you know what? If our future, and it is, is to be with Him and see Him as He is, and then it also says we will be like Him, then wouldn't it make sense for us to put our thoughts and take those thoughts and have a better contemplation right now on the beauty of God as we are being prepared for eternity. Right now, we're being prepared for the rest of eternity. We just started. It says in Scripture, we are being transformed into the image of Christ. That's what's going on right now. As you sit here, right at this moment, you're being transformed into that glory. From one level of glory to the next level of glory. Let's go up another step today, okay? Jonathan Edwards said, When a sinner comes to understand the graciousness of God and the majesty of His character, look at this, they see with piercing clarity that there is a divine and superlative glory in these things. An excellency that is of a vastly higher kind and more sublime nature than in other things, a glory greatly distinguishing them from all that is earthly and temporal. We're going to start with God and His creation. And then we're going to move further out. That's the first link in the cycle of beauty because it always starts with God. And then we'll move further out to Christ and the church and then to its consummation in heaven. Let's look at that true beauty. You guys ready to look at the beauty of God as as if we haven't already? But we want to go further. In Psalm 27, 4, it says, One thing I have asked from the Lord, one thing that I shall seek, that I may dwell, live there, in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And here we go. Why? To behold the beauty of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, My mind, my thinking is so puny. So little 
even compared to what you have revealed. But what all is out there that you have not revealed, there's no way that I could even understand. But the Holy Spirit illuminates to our own minds and thinking this grandeur, this splendor of the great God of all the universe. Lord, take our thoughts higher today. It makes us have to think. And sometimes it's it's hard to think. It is work. But as we meditate on that, it's the best, absolute best thing that we can do because we want to think highly of You, to have that high view. Help us to have a high view, higher than ever today. Amen. 27.4 To behold the beauty of the Lord. One begins a study of God and we all are students of God. And it began when we lie, we, we actually laid in the dust. We were nothing. And as we lay there, we had to shut out the piercing glory of God. Didn't understand it. It was too blinding. We didn't want it. We were wicked, evil sinners and we didn't want to see that glory. And what He does is He raises us up from the ground and He reveals Himself to us. And that's where it starts. He is God and we are sinners and we're wicked and evil and then He brings us up and even though we don't deserve it, He starts showing who we are. You know what? He dignified us. He takes us from the worst from the being the worms that we were, and underneath we were below zero. And He dignified us, and He has made us for the very end to think and be astonished at His glorious beauty. And it's hard work to look at that sometimes. Our, our, the natural old man didn't want to see that. But this is what eternal life is about. Knowing Christ. The more we know of God, the more awesome He appears. If you've known Him for a long time, the more awesome He becomes. He becomes more and more awesome and more. And it gets to the point where you you know you are to live here and to serve Him and do what you're supposed to do and get that Gospel out and at the same time you're so torn you want to see that beauty you can't wait. And it's getting close. Closer than it was last week. So we're going to start with the first one um, here. It's, a, it's an excellency. And Bob used that word, I think, uh, earlier in, in, in prayer. Uh, this excellency of God. Jonathan Edwards gives us a really good outline. I'm going to borrow a lot from Jonathan Edwards today, uh, as well as Stephen Charnock, who wrote Attributes of God, two volumes, one of the maybe of the elite. A.W. Pink wrote the Attributes of God. Small little book, but boy, it's valuable. You want to get high thinking. Those books dealing with the attributes of God, I think Martin Lloyd-Jones has an addition on that. A lot of people do. The character, the nature of God. J.I. Packer. I think the the ladies did a book called Knowing God over at Janice's house back a few years ago now. And uh, that was definitely a blessing to them. And all of us kind of got in on that as we had study guides. Um, it's, It's about... This kind of thing. Edwards took seven of these kind of attributes 
and he used them as the excellency of God, the very beauty of God. First one, you see it on the outline, and you can say, what is that? And I did that on purpose. Aseity. The aseity of God. Simple as that. Aseity. You say, what does it mean? You might ask that. It's dealing with God's self-existence. It's dealing with the self-existence that has no other source. He's the only source. It is Him and Him only where everything comes from. Existence derived from itself. Do you know of anything besides God that derived its existence by its own self? It just came into being as as it is. And if it came into being, then it can't be God because God didn't come into this aseity. He has always been that way. And now your mind is all wrapped up and you can't go back any further. I don't care who you are and how intelligent you are, you can't go any further than that. Because we are bound by time and God is not. But this aseity is incredible. Existence derived from itself, having no other source. The utter dependence, He has none. Utter independence, it is Him. The very utter independence that God has. He dwelt in a realm of glory before the foundations. Untouched by time, untouched by ages, he was dependent on nothing. And that's hard to fathom, isn't it? Never does he depend on anything. And by his very nature, we know that's him. He was never created. He never came into being. And if you ask the Mormons, you can say, okay, where does your God come from? Well, he came from his father. Well, what about his father? Well, he came from his father. Well, what about that father? Well, he came from uh, his father. And you can just keep on going back and you'll keep getting the same answer. You know what? You have a lot of gods. Mormonism teaches a plurality of gods. They're talking about millions of gods. By the way, you too, if you're a Mormon, will be a god. If you're a man. And you're not guaranteed if you're a wife. You might be called there and you may not by your husband. Isn't that ridiculous? They have nothing to offer. That They don't talk about an eternal God. They don't talk about a one true God. They're talking about as God is, man will become. God was once a man. And He became God as He is. So That's Mormonism. All the religions have faulty views and they are wrong. And they, if they, if their hearts don't change, will go to hell. And you say, they're religious, they're good people though. No, they're not. The Bible says they're not. Matter of fact, they're false. And, you know, we, oh, that we'd love to be able to get truth to them though. Uh, there is one God. He is eternal. And whenever they say He's not eternal, then they're, they don't know the one true God. I mean, we're starting with this aseity of God, this, this, uh, kind of God that says He's the only one forever. And it's necessary that He continue forever and ever. He's always been forever. And He will continue with that. God is not dependent on any part of His creation. God always existed. He is eternal. We as human beings are on a linear level. And right now we, we see that and it's, it's, it's going this way and the only thing we can describe it as is Okay, it stretches backwards and it stretches on in forwards into the future where there is no end. That's about the best that I can see this. 
And that is so far short of what, the, what it's about. Eternity is a perpetual duration. This is where God dwells in. He is an uncaused being. Everything has to have a cause. Science should actually say that. Because that's what that's true science. Everything has a cause. But then when you get to God, He was uncaused. He's always been here. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. In Revelation 4.11, oh, look at this. We're going to be going through a lot of Scripture today. I better move on, hadn't I? 4.11, these are beautiful. Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things. Tell that to the public schools. You'll be laughed out of there. And because of Your will, they existed and were created. God does. He created all things. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3, 14. Moses, burning bush. God appears to him. Moses said, uh, well, you're sending me out there. What, what is his name? What, what shall I say to him who's sending me there to back to Egypt? Uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What's his name? I am. That is a Yahweh. I am converted in Hebrew. Y-H-W-H. The four consonants, not the vowels. I am. What does I am mean? Well, it's the aseity of God. It means self-existence. Tell that to somebody. I'm self-existing. They'll be carting you off to the funny farm. Because nobody believes that. The sad thing is, though, they don't believe that a self-existent God has ever is here. How about Psalm 90? I have that underlined, so I'm going to go to that one. I have a lot of them, so some of these I'm going to have to be skipping today, but they're there if you want to look them up. There are many more. It's hard to just pick a few and say, okay, let's go with these verses. But Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or You gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. That's simple. That's self-existence. You've always been here from everlasting to that from that point to everlasting on this point. That's unfathomable, isn't it? Is that a beauty? Do you do you see how rich that is? I'm going to read from Stephen Charnoff just one sentence. This is from his Attributes of God. Each book's about that thick, two volumes. The eternity of God is nothing else but the duration of God. And the duration of God is nothing else but His existence enduring. His existence that endures. See, Spurgeon, you want to hear what he has to say about this? Do you not know that God is an eternal, self-existent being? That to say He loves now is in fact to say He always did love. 
Since with God there is no past, no present, and no future. What we call past and present and future, He wraps up in one eternal now. And if you say that He loves you now, you thereby say that He loved you yesterday. Like before the foundation of the world. He loved you then. And He loved you in past eternity. And He will love you forever. And His love never gets any more because it's at its max. It never gets any less. Even when we disobey Him, yeah, it's the same love. I, uh, those who talk of God's beginning to love His people know not what they say nor whereof they affirm. They might speak of man beginning to love. They might speak of angels beginning to love. But of God we never can since He without beginning had a deathless love in His heart. He has an affection which no source except in Himself He could not begin. For He is out without beginning of years and without end of days. From everlasting to everlasting. That's what our psalm just said. He is God, and from everlasting to everlasting, His mercies extend to His people. He has a a book called The Treasury of David. I think it's two volumes of Psalms, commentaries on Psalms. It it has been said, Spurgeon said, it's the best commentary on Psalms. So if you're reading in Scripture, Scripture is always lifted up over everything else. That's authority. What man writes, he writes, but it, but it, it, that he is illuminated. Isn't it great to grasp some, some thoughts from some dead guys? <laughs> and even some guys that are alive. And he quoted this out of, after he read Psalm 90, that some of those thoughts come to his mind. And when you come here, when you hear me speak, even though we're coming from the Word of God, there's some of the thoughts that I have, and then they've been coming from uh, others. So it's not wrong to think of uh, a man's thoughts that help us gather these together. And just like the creeds and such, if we don't have those, then all of a sudden we can kind of start interpreting Scripture the way that we think it means, and all of a sudden we put God in our own eyes from our own interpretation without any help from others, and that's arrogant to think, well, God and His Spirit and the Word of God is all I need. Don't ever say that. Don't be guilty of that. Because we are borrowing rich history from the church that God has given. The church triumphant. And God has blessed many to write things out. That is a baby talk that helps us understand. So that's why I make quotes from people. I'm not quoting them and saying that and I'm doing it rather than the Word of God. But it's what they got out of a scripture. Great godly men. And so don't be afraid when you hear of somebody quoting um, from that. It should help you think. But we don't exalt men ever. The reason I say that on Facebook this week, I got a, 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 I've never had that happen before, but one person uh, said, you always quote from men and put question marks there. Mm-hmm. Well, anytime you listen to a message right here, you're, you're listening to a man. <laughs> you know, I could be wrong. But if I'm quoting from Scripture and these things jive with that, then that's good. That is a manly, uh, that is a, a God of man, uh, a man of God, and we can, we have gifts to give, and so the whole body of Christ helps each other understand God. We need help to interpret these scriptures and not go outside with our own interpretation. And man, I've heard of people say, yeah, I'll, I read the Bible. I'm glad you do live in the Bible and, and visit good books. 
Live in the Bible. If that's all you ever read, okay, fine. But please, when you interpret, make sure that it lines up with the with the um, the rest of what the church has done. Historically, it helps us. Now, I know the church is not perfect, but it sure keeps us in line. And say, okay, that's how I interpret. Whenever I come up here, I'm not speaking anything that I just came up with my own. If I did, shame on me, because if I'm telling anything new here, that, hey, well, this is what uh, God tells me, and if it doesn't line up with Scripture or what other people have said in the church, that could be dangerous. So that's why um, we will do that. We quote from commentaries and such to help us out. But we always go back to the Word. That is our authority, the only authority. Okay, you guys know that, right? I've, I've said this for 30 years, but I know I'm doing quite a few quotes today, but man, I have a lot of scriptures here. and We don't need those quotes, but the way that they word them sometimes is a lot better than I can ever do. <laughs> they have a vocabulary that just helps out. Well, anyway... We go to the next one. We've seen the aseity. Can we say that together? Aseity. Hey, you've learned a word. You can take and practice on that today. Hey, you know about the aseity of God? <laughs> Self-existence. That's not a big deal. But knowing that He's always been, that's the big deal. The next one is greatness. Well, that's simple. All these are simple. We know these. There's nothing new here. Greatness. You know, um, when, a, when you're a kid, God is... Great, God is good. You know, that was a little prayer you'd say. Maybe some of you learned that. You know, great. I say, yeah, I know God is great. You, you ask any little three-year-old if they've been taught anything at all, and they'll know that God is great. God is great. God is good. He's infinitely exalted above all creatures, creatures in, in greatness. There, there's no king that's ever lived that's even compared to him. This, a per, uh, this earth that we have here it seems to us as being a very great thing. And it is awesome. You think of the countries. Think of the state that you live in. You know, it takes an afternoon to drive across from Kansas City to St. Louis. That's pretty great. Then you start thinking of driving across Kansas. Not, Whoa, this thing is really getting great. Or, or Nebraska. <laughs> it just seems forever. To, it seems like eternity going across. You know? But think about the whole United States, and then think about, well, crossing over into another country and go into Europe, and keep on going. My, the world world is pretty great, isn't it? You know, from, from country to country, and it gets expansive and moves on. You think of the vast oceans. Man, those are pretty great extensions there. The oceans are a great distance there. Uh, the whole universe. And we know Louis Giglio and that whole video, and that just expands and gets bigger and bigger in a telescope out and it just keeps on going and they have more discoveries as we send more satellites out and that Hubble telescope just extends it out even further and say, stop, stop, I can't even take any more. It's amazing how much in our lifetime and just in the last few years how many more things they've discovered out there. It's incredible how great it is. And you know what? The more we discover out there, it becomes infinitely less when it's compared to the greatness of God. You can take the least discernible uh, atom that there is and, and compare it to the whole creation, right? His scope of uh, dealing with majestic beauty, it just goes on. This is a great God. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. And when, when you see those things, it helps you understand how big God is. 
how about lifted up in our first chronicles uh, you're after the Samuels right and and then after the kings and first chronicles chapter 29 verse 11 and it says yours o lord is the what greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Now you can think of the greatest thing you can think on this earth that you are just amazed by. And man, I mean, all you have to do is just look up at night and you can see that and just be uh, blown away. We did a Wednesday night Bible study and we were out there looking. It was really nice the other Wednesday night, you know, and look up and... Well, is that a star? Is that a planet? You know, it's so bright and it's there looking looking right at you, you know, and then you start looking around. So even in town, you can see some stars out there and the beauty of it, the wonder. You know, if we were to go back in the 1800s, did they have pictures of that? The early 1900s? I think these pictures came in our lifetimes. And, I mean... That's, I mean, they didn't color in that. That's, that's the way that it looks to those telescopes as they take the pictures and send them back here to us. And that can only happen because God allows them to do that. And He's just screaming out, the heavens tell the glory of God, like Psalm 19.1. And it gets more, oh, there's, there's Giglio. And, and you, know, you know what he does? You know, he expands this out there. And I feel like I'm Louis Giglio all over so Not even trying to be. But, uh, wow, you know? And that's so simple. God is so great. He expands it out so much. Wow, what a great God. Psalm 8, 1 through 3. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth, who have displayed Your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes You have established strength because of Your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider Your heavens, that's what we're doing, the work of Your fingers, the moon and the stars which You have ordained. What is man that You take thought of him? And the Son of Man, that you care for Him. Yet you've made Him a little lower than God. And you crown Him with glory and majesty. You make Him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under His feet. All sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, dominion. Whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Amen. How great. The universe is so massive. And we struggle to comprehend its size. And whenever we see some of those pictures and those videos, we go, wow. And we see how small the earth is. And then we zoom in a little bit and we see how small the United States is. And then how small Missouri is. And then how small Jeff City is. And then boom, right to your house. And how small that is compared to the telescoping universe. Perhaps this was done so that God's eternal power and divine nature could be understood from the things He created. He gives us such vast... We say, He's that big? Oh, much bigger than that. <laughs> In other words, He wanted us to get a glimpse 
of how immense that he is. You outside and just look out there today. You look out the windows today, <laughs> how beautiful it is. We just get a glimpse of his beauty. Now let's go to splendor. And that's dealing with beauty. Every revelation that God has made to us is a revelation of beauty. Go out and we're looking at creation a lot today here, right? Every flower that blooms. Debbie's got spring fever. She is doing planning and checking out the things that are going to be coming up, right? And a lot of you are doing that. Debbie doesn't get sunburned anymore, but I remember used to, almost every spring she'd be red. And then red all the way to sometime in the fall. <laughs> but I, I don't think you burn anymore. But but you're you're out there more probably than, than ever before. And of course we all have allergies to prove it sometimes. <laughs> and if um if Zach and Rebecca are hearing um us today and they're not right now because we're not live, but if they happen to hear this Hello, Zach and Rebecca. Sorry that you are sick today, and I imagine there could be some allergies that are involved with Zach, who has tremendous allergy problems. <laughs> I just thought of that. I just threw that in. But the beauty. Every bird that sings. Been hearing birds lately? Every dewdrop that sparkles, the sun hits it. The star that shines, and the sunset that just burns with splendor, We've been seeing those. They're reflections of God's beauty. He's made everything beautiful in His time. <laughs> right out of Ecclesiastes and right out of that song, right? The beauty we see in nature is delightful. We all admit that. Can't wait. The beauty of angels must be just tremendously glorious. The beauty of the moon and the stars, it's wonderful. The highest heavens is transcendent. You've been seeing some pictures of that today. But all of this darkens whenever it's compared to the bright splendor of the Creator of all this beauty. It just darkens, gets dark whenever Christ or God's light comes out. Don't be concentrating on so much the beauties of the world. Be concentrating on the source of that beauty. The splendor of the Lord. The beauty. The loveliness. Edwards used that word loveliness there. I use splendor. But if you look in Psalm 84 verse 1, this is a scripture to help back that one up. That's really what we're here about today anyway, isn't it? It's about this, what it reveals to us. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. When it talks about dwelling places, it's more than just the place. It's the person of God. How lovely, how beautiful are you and where you live, where you dwell. The next one, says D. This is the fourth one. I said seven. And then we have other things to go. Power. The power of God. That's a beautiful thing. In the springtime, you'll see tornadoes. You'll see hurricanes in, in, the, in the fall, you know, and on, on the, the, the beaches. 
we see in the springtime lightning, powerful displays. And I've heard many of you, many of you, many times talk about the lightning and how really how cool it is. I've talked with Johnny about that a lot. He's just amazed by the power of lightning and how little man is whenever it compares to the power of God's thunder and lightning. Volcanoes, tidal waves, we glimpse glimpse at these forces that are in the world and He rules over it. He rules all over those things. And I have a lot of Scripture here. I'm going to go to Proverbs this time. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He wishes. There are many days that I think about that verse. Lord, what is going on? There isn't a king or president or ruler in this world that seems to be making a bit of sense. What is going on? None of them seem to be righteous. He's taking his hand and controlling and making things happen the way that it's supposed to be. And if we truly are near the end of the end, (laughs) if that be the case, if we're that close, technologically, we're advancing such an extremely quick time that uh, things have happened in, in the space of two years probably more than the inventions of all of mankind. It's, I mean, it's just exploding off. And then the, all the evil that's going on, there's always been the evil and everything, but it's just like, boom, it's just, it's just taken over. If that be the case, if, if we're right here, there has to be some things where mankind rears up and um, they will look of a piece of their own. They want a ruler that can come in and rule because there is no peace and they want the peace. The whole world is crying out for peace. The UN, that's what it was made for. Have you ever seen any time where it has really brought any peace? Come on. And it's man's definition of peace of it be, but... God is the absolute one controlling government in the world. He always has. He rules all of creation. He has the power to execute His will and He'll do it. And if it means He has to burn this earth up and everything that's in it, and He will, it says it in Scripture, then He will do that. Right now, He created this earth. He sustains it. He keeps men from destroying themselves. That's what I'm amazed about. What keeps this world from going out of control and man just blow himself up which they have the ta- uh, capabilities to do right he judges with power charnock the power of god is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatsoever he pleases whatsoever his infinite wisdom may direct and whatsoever the infinite purity of his will may resolve as holiness is the beauty of all god's attributes So power is that which gives life and action to all the perfections of the divine nature. How vain would be the eternal counsels if power did not step in to execute them. Without power, His mercy would be a feeble pity. If if He's not a powerful God, His mercy means nothing. His promises would be an empty sound. His threatenings a mere scarecrow. 
God's power is like Himself. Infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated by the creature. We cannot, man cannot frustrate the power of God. Who are you, little man? You are so big. Oh, you went to the moon, huh? Oh, you're going to go and you are going you think there's life on other planets. I heard that they discovered that this week. Again? Again. <laughs> and it turns out to be and so this time, I think they'll eventually keep saying that till it'll be like evolution. It's just all a big lie. They just make it up, take it out of thin air with no proof whatsoever. Or they'll come up with some kind of proof that is uh, some kind of lie. Well, may the saint trust such a God. I'm glad He is absolute in His power. I am glad He is absolutely sovereign in everything that you can think of. We should never despair. When you think of this, this really, tr- and so next time you think about despairing, which you know might be tonight, might be tonight. When when that comes up, uh, just turn to the Word of God. Let Him speak like some of these verses speak. And all of a sudden, your little pitiful mind, it's so little, starts expanding. And you say, oh, oh, the source of all this is God. He, he, he is power. That's right. You know what? He's clothed with omnipotence. That means all-powerful. No prayer is too hard for Him to answer. There is no need that is too great for Him that he can supply. There is no passion too strong that for him to subdue. There is no temptation too powerful that he can't get us through and deliver us through. There's no misery too deep for him to relieve. Psalm 27.1 says this, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Yes, absolutely. Don't you like that? Don't you take comfort in that? Man, this this God is powerful. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. <laughs> That's power. That was fourth. Wisdom is the fifth one. We're in part one. And you know, I'm just now beginning to think that we're probably going to have to take this outline and use it next week to finish part two. I didn't have it planned that way. Maybe part three. And maybe. <laughs> well, we're in between books. Yeah. Just linger here a while. It's not a bad place to linger, is it? God has given this stuff to us. It's all right here. Wisdom. We know about that. We know where wisdom comes from. We know about. We know all of these. We know where it comes from. But do unbelievers? No, not at all. Not really. They might say, well, I know. I know. I, I'm, I really haven't trusted in Christ. I will one of these days. I know God is a wise God. Oh, you really think so, huh? Yeah. 
Tell me about his wisdom. Well, he's he's really wise. <laughs> he's really smart. God is wise in heart. That is, he is most wise. God only is wise. There's nobody else wise. He's the one that has the wisdom. But he actually lets people use some wisdom. He possesses all wisdom. And in 1 Timothy 1.17, it says that he is called the only wise God. The only wise one. You know, all the treasures of wisdom are locked up there. I'm amazed that he opens that treasury and lets some of it come out down here to earth. And we get to use some of it. No creature can have any wisdom but that it comes from God. It came out of His treasury. There is no defect in His wisdom whatsoever. Never does He say, Oh, man, I've been, I've been right all along in this one... Man, this bothers me. I, I messed up once. <laughs> no defects. No erasers on this pencil? No erasers. No erasers. There's no need for Him to have that. He has written books, hasn't He? Men may be wise in some some things, but in other things they show how imprudent they are and how weak they really are. But sometimes you're amazed by even unbelievers of some amazing intelligence that they have. And that's a that's a gift from God and that's you know, in that sense I'm amazed by some of the things that the unbelieving world comes up with. But what does man do with everything that he invents? A, a, a tool, an instrument that is really neither righteous or unrighteous. It's just a tool. And what does man do with it? Well, sometimes he can use it for good. But what does that tool always turn out to go? To go in evil. And think of everything that the world does. It always goes that way. Talking about the internet. You know, and that's come about in all of our lifetimes right here. It wasn't around when we were kids. Most of us. Some of us, yeah. <laughs> Think about that. That's amazing, isn't it? It took a mind to come up with that. I mean, we don't even really understand how that really works. Satellites and, and all that. But God wants to use that. For ultimately for His glory, but yet at the same time, man magnifies the sin of himself when he uses instruments like that. And we know that men could do some major damage with the technology that we have today in a matter of moments. And what keeps that from happening? God says, no, it's not time yet. I'm not going to allow you to do that. You say, they could. Oh, boy. Infinite intelligence. I'm going to take wisdom, since it looks like I'm not going to go to part two today. I will finish part one, I think, Lord willing. Um, Wisdom is His infinite intelligence. And what I want to do is look at a moment at Amos. Think of the prophets. Think of 
around the book of Daniel and then Hosea and Joel and then Amos. You don't turn to Amos much, so we're going to go there right now. Amos 4.13 For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind... That's pretty powerful. And declares to man what are his thoughts. He declares to man what are his thoughts. How about Daniel 2.28? Just turn back to the prophet Daniel 2.28. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. That was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know what it is and he wanted the magicians, the sorcerers to come up with what his dream was. And of course, nobody could do that. But, God had His man at the proper time, at the proper place, used the sin of Israel, used the sin of Babylon, put this man Daniel exactly where he needed to be. And despite all the bad things that are going on, there's Daniel and Daniel comes in, interprets the dream precisely, blows the king away, and guess what? Daniel actually is the right-hand man of the king throughout the rest of his life. Actually, you might as well call him the king. (laughs) He was taken in captivity. (laughs) See, God is in absolute control. Even when it seems like it's out of control, Israel got their temple taken away from them. People were deported. Thousands and thousands were killed. His chosen nation. And here it is. He had that man come up and it was God's wisdom that told Daniel exactly what that man had. And of course, the rest is history, isn't it? God knows what was in that man's mind. He knows what we're thinking right now. Wow. Infinite intelligence. He knows the most profound secrets and dreams. He knows the thoughts. Intricate, subtle things. He knows. Sometimes He puts His thoughts to us. <laughs> God will pull off masks and disguises and He'll show what's really there. He has an exact working, a curious working, a monument of God's power, a looking glass in which we see His wisdom. The earth decked out with a variety of flowers. That's His wisdom. To be able to do that. You, you've seen all the creatures that are under the sea. You've seen pictures and videos of them. They just blow you away. Pictures that people never ever saw until our lifetime. Didn't know these creatures existed. He gives the right kind of fragrance to the flowers. We may see the glorious wisdom blazing in the sun. That's His wisdom being able to give that... Twinkling in the stars, that was His wisdom to bring out. Ordering everything in its proper place, its proper sphere. If He would have had the sun like miles further away, we would be frozen. If He had it any closer, we would burn up. 
with His almighty wisdom, He puts it perfectly in place so that people can live here and nowhere else world ridiculous things they come up with. <laughs> the seasons of the year? God did that. Thou hast made summer and winter. Psalm seventy four seventeen. You know what? If there had been all night, it'd really be hard to work, wouldn't it? Couldn't see if you didn't have lights. And if there had been no days, if I say that everything had been all days, then there would be no rest. Need that darkness. He mixes the elements together perfectly. It's a perfect mix. If everything had been in the sea, then we'd all want land and, and, and bread. If it had been all earth, we'd want water. The wisdom of God prepares, ripens the fruits. He brings wind and frost that prepare the fruits even. And the sun and the rain that ripen the fruits. If I had my wish, it would just be... I was telling Bob this earlier this morning... I look at it like that and say, if I had my desire, it'd be like this every day. Never change. He said, yeah, just like San Diego. No seasons there. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of neat at first, but can you imagine not ha- it just always being the same? You know, when, it, when we have a nice little rain, a shower and such, after we've had a long, hot summer, boy, it's refreshing, isn't it? And we know if it went too much longer, then we don't get any food. I think of people like, you know, like Stan there. You know, how much do you depend on the weather, right? <laughs> and we need all those seasons. Sometimes you say, God, okay, that's, that's really good. Thank you for... Maybe it's little... You could stop there. <laughs> the work of redemption. How about that one? That's the masterpiece of divine wisdom as far as we're concerned. Salvation. How about taking the desperate evils of mankind and turning them into good for His children? He has no hand in our sin. The Lord permits a sin, but He never approves of it. But in another sense, He allows it to happen. His hand is in the action when the sin is going on, but yet He never causes people to sin. But He's never involved in the sin of the action. But there are people that didn't course what they do to his son. That was a terrible thing that he did, but yet it's part of the plan. Uh, I, I don't understand. And well, I shouldn't. He's given it. It's truth. Believe it. Oh my. Uh, F. F is six, isn't it? It's, okay. Moving on. Holiness. And we've done holiness so many times. And you could sp- we could spend the next year on it. I'm not kidding you. All pure light, transcendent, otherness, goes beyond, right? He is the other, the other. He's totally separated from us. Holy, holy, holy. You don't see wrath, 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 or... Power, power, power. We, we did, but I mean, this is part of his name here. Connect with it. Holy, holy, holy. Charnock says this is the greatest title of honor in this ladder that the majesty and venerableness of his name appear. Holy. 
That is the thing that we want to understand about God. That's where it starts. That He is holy. Pure. His holiness is the beauty of of it all. And G is goodness. (coughs) This is the seventh one. God just delights in the welfare and the prosperity of His creatures. He delights in that. He makes them exceedingly blessed. God is eternally immutably good. While He is holy and He is just, He's also good. How can you be that and a God of wrath and yet to be good, to be kind? Nobody can be as good as He is. There is no goodness. Why do you call me good, Jesus said. There is none good other than God. Of course, the man didn't realize that he was talking to God right there. There is no addition made to him in any of these attributes. No subtraction. He's not going to get better because he's already at his best. We're always striving to get better, aren't we? We want to get better. Thomas Minton talked about that. He's God is sunum bonum. He is the chiefest good. The original Saxon meaning of the English word God, the original meaning is the good. The good. The good. God is not only the greatest of all, but He is the best. All the goodness there is in any creature is imparted from the Creator. You have any goodness? Well, if you're a Christian, you do. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. He's taken that attribute and a lot of those attributes and has communicated those to us. There are some attributes that are incommunicable. Do you have all power? No. He didn't communicate that to you. (laughs) Do you have all knowledge? He didn't communicate that either. But he did communicate some knowledge. Quite a bit. What we're looking at today, this is this is really supreme, isn't it? Oh my. Communicated his goodness. The first manifestation of the divine perfection was in giving being to all things. We exist. He gave us life. And he revealed to us who he is. And most people in the world don't know that. And we take it so much for granted. Of course God is good. Of course God is great. Of course God is holy. Look at all those. I know those. Oh, don't ever take them for granted, beloved. Because most of the world out there today denies everything, every sentence, every word we just said. They deny those. And I'm going to end with a little bit of Psalms here. Psalm 52.1. And we're going to have to close out. And so now I know what we're going to do next week. <laughs> Lord willing, of course. <laughs> That's right. 52.1. Why do you boast an evil, almighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. The goodness is there all day long. What are we seeing out in the world? How ugly 
It has become. They're displaying ugliness. Taking some things that are so beautiful. But God, His His goodness is all day long. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in... Uh, the longest chapter in all the Bible. Of course, it's the longest psalm, obviously. Psalm 119. All about the Word of God, every verse. 119, verse 68. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Teach me about that. Of course, He's good. And He does good. I think we need to be reminded that. It's so simple. A four-letter word. Yeah, God is good. Hey, life is hard, but God is good. God is good all the time. All the time? I saw that on Emily's Facebook yesterday. And then somebody was saying that earlier this... <laughs> I think it was Nicholas. He said, yeah, he was kind of singing or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Psalm 107, verse 8. We need to know that. Because, boy, sometimes we are going through some stuff. Real heavy stuff. 107, verse 8. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His goodness, His loving kindness, and for His wonders to the sons of men. Make this always be a wonder. Just like when you're a kid and you wake up on a Christmas morning, the the wonders that are there. You're so excited. Let His goodness be a wonder to you. You know what? The most beautiful thing, the most beautiful of all, is part two next week. I hate to leave you hanging here, but that's what we're going to have to do. This is the best of all. But there's a third part that is really cool too. Now, Usually when you have a message, you want to have the theology, the doctrine, and then you want to have practice. And we've just gazed upon it. I think we've just practiced something in the theology. Thinking on God. If these things are in your mind continually, that's walking. That's letting the Spirit of God control. When you think of high things of God, that's where we want to take our minds all day long even as you do the most mundane things, washing dishes and taking care of things around the house, and God says, this is good. Our work that we do is a good thing. God has given that to you. It's a gift. It really is. He does not allow us to be bored at all. He said, I get bored sometimes. There is no reason when we have this kind of beauty to look at. What have you been looking on? You need to go and look at this. Don't ever say, I'm bored. It can't. It can't happen for a Christian if they're thinking on these things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how can we say enough words of thanks for giving us just these few scriptures that we've read this morning, which are dozens, but yet we look at them and we are in agreement. And sometimes that's really the best way. We, we just confess these things. 
And sometimes that's the best way of giving glory. And then be content. That's our practice. To be content with an all-powerful God. I think we can do that. To be content with a good God. To be content with a God who is eternal, unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. To be content with this loveliness of You. Lord, may You become even lovelier in our view of You each day. And may this day take us a step higher and sing Your glory. In Your Son's name and in Your holy name. Holy, holy, holy. Amen.